Now, join us on Facebook Live because it's that time of the week when we say hi to James Marsh, a bit of Marshy movie time. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you? Yes. Not bad. It's yeah. going to get better now you're here. It's raining your end as well, oh. isn't it? Yes. Unfortunately, it is, and it's thundering and it's, it's lightning and hopefully uh, that won't interrupt our uh, thing. connection. Your train of thought like or Wi-Fi, yeah. Anyway, um, the posters look brilliant today. I'll give you that. Oh, join us on Facebook Live because we want to hear what you have to say. Yes. Yeah, so we've got a bit of a bit of TV and a bit of big screen too. We've on the big screen out in cinemas this week. We have Space Jam: A New Legacy. Oh yeah. We have Escape Room: Tournament of Champions. Uh, we also have Time, local movie, and then on uh, on the TV on the Apple TV Plus <laughs> is phys- is physical. Okay. New comedy drama. What's the goss then? Anything you want to share with us? Um, no, not much. I don't think there's a great deal going on at the moment. Um, you know, there's the Cannes Film Festival is in full swing. So I believe by the end of this, I think it's by the end of this weekend, we will know who the winners, who the movers and shakers are there. Uh, what have you got? What are you, so, what's your coin saying? Well, there's one film that does interest me, which is a French movie called Titanium, which is by the director of female director uh, who directed a, a film called Raw oh, a yeah. couple of years ago, which was a kind of coming of age drama about cannibalism, oh, nice. uh, which was which was actually great. <laughs> which was nice. Um, so I don't know too. This one seems sort of sort of fetishistic, neon drenched, kind of weird. I, I haven't sort of heard or read too much about. It exactly, but I've seen the trailer and it all looks very, uh, very cool, very 80s metallic sheen. Bound to uh, win. You know, it look- so we'll see. Right. Well, fingers crossed with that. Um, I don't know what it's. Uh, I don't even know if it's play- if it's in competition, but um, we shall see. There's also a new uh, Asghar Fahadi Iranian drama, which apparently has been drawing some strong, uh, strong reviews. But then you've always got to be slightly. Uh, you know, you'll take these first look, first impression, <laughs> festival reviews with a pinch of salt. You know, everybody is very excited to be there. They're very excited to be going to the cinema, I imagine, going to the festival for the first time in a long time, seeing um, movies for the first time, being the first to see these big new movies. And sometimes it gets a little, people get a little carried away and the, the can audiences are notoriously flippant, you know, but also... Uh, hyperbolic, you know, uh, they have been known. They've been known to kind of boo films, uh, you know, at their premiere with the with filmmakers in the room, and also have been known to get these rapturous sort of fifteen-minute-long standing evasions. And by the time that it, it all kind of trickles down to commoners like you and I, mm. uh, you're like, you're like, yeah, it's okay. You know, so there's. <laughs> So you've got to kind of take take the responses and the reactions that you get out of a festival like Cannes with a, with a grain of salt. All right, but it's a, it's a good place to start at least. Yeah, and it is known for its quality. You don't often, you know, you hear people really slamming the other big uh, festivals and award ceremonies, don't you? People really dig Cannes. Well, it it certainly does have a, a certain degree of prestige, and it's you know the Palm Door, the top prize there is considered sort of the best prize to win on the festival circuit the best sort of art house accolade that you can uh, that you can get that said you have to take that with a grain of salt as well because you know year on year on year it's not the same people mm. giving you giving out the award every time you know every year there is a hand-picked jury 
of filmmakers and what have you. And it's different every year. So although the people selecting the films that will play at the festival are the same every year, those dishing out the gold at the end of the day are different every year. And so, you know, the cynic inside me says, you know, just because it won the Palm Door doesn't necessarily mean it's as good as previous Palm Door winners and yeah. vice versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then. Well, we shall see, won't we? But I'm, pro- but I'm probably just jealous because I'm not there, so... That is true. That is true. And you wouldn't have been anyway. Have you ever been? No, I'd, I, I've never been, actually. No, I've you never will, been. You will, Oscar. You uh, will. Uh, one day, one day, one day, you know, we'll see. But uh, no, it's not one that I can weasel my way into, unfortunately. <clears throat> no worries. Anyway, cool. Time will tell. Yep. Okay, so let's start by talking about Physical, which is a new sort of comedy drama series that is unfolding week on week on Apple TV+. Now, this is becoming an increasingly sort of archaic model, particularly for the streaming services, to give you a new episode every week. You know, that's like good old-fashioned terrestrial TV. Indeed. You know, one of the things that I think... I think Netflix pioneered was this idea of binging, you know, this idea of dumping an entire season of TV on you in one fell swoop. Uh, And I've actually got quite accustomed to that, you know, and I'm actually almost reluctant to even dip into a TV show if the entire season isn't there. Because particularly with the comedies, where they tend to be shorter episodes, I've now, you know, got into the habit of just watching three or four in a row. Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, you know, physical has been on for like a month or so, so there are now half a dozen or so. It's still going, but there are now still half a dozen or so episodes, so you can get stuck in, and that's what I've done over the last couple of days. I've, you know, just jumped in with both feet, and I've actually uh, really enjoyed it, so I thought I would just flag it up now, show it a little love. I said it's set in the early 80s, 1981, and Rose Byrne, Australian accents, actress, is playing uh, an American woman called Sheila, who uh, lives in San Diego, and she is unhappily married to a university professor who, in the first episode, loses his job and decides that now is the time to enter into local politics. Mm. Um, Now, the story is told very much from Sheila's point of view. She is, uh, you know, a a sort of mother. They've got a young daughter. She doesn't work. You know, she is a housewife. But uh, she has very sort of serious self-esteem issues. And the the series is narrated from her internal monologue, which is incredibly sort of neurotic, self-loathing, and essentially is driven by... Uh, a sort of low, this this crushing lo- sense of low self-esteem, which uh, manifests as an eating disorder. She mm. has bulimia, and so she is always sort of sneaking off to the drive-through, buying bags and bags of hamburgers, renting a <laughs> motel room, binging, vomiting, showering, and then going out and promising herself every time, "This is the last time. This is the last time. Yeah, this yeah. is the last time." Right now, in her sort of beachside community, there's a lot of urban development going on. A lot of the strip malls and small businesses are being uh, priced out of the market to make way for big malls and what have you. And there's a local developer there who is is very much to blame for this, who becomes a kind of political rival of her husband. Meanwhile, she was one of the things that she pushed herself to do sort of obsessively were ballet classes. And when Mm. her ballet school uh, is one of those small businesses squeezed out, she finds herself gravitating towards uh, a new thing at one of these new malls, which is aerobics. Okay. Uh, (laughs) 
And so she becomes kind of obsessed and drawn into this world of aerobics and sort of forms a relationship with the couple. Very sort of strange counterculture couple who run the local sort of aerobics school. And uh, she becomes sort of involved in that. And she jumps in and goes, okay, this is the thing that I am going to now obsess over. Okay. Um, So, I mean, I really liked it. On the one hand, it's got this kind of sort of almost breaking bad sort of uh, style to it where, you know, on she's projecting this image of like the perfect almost trophy wife perfect mother, perfect housewife all the rest of it, but she's, you know she's leading this double life, on the one hand you know, we are hearing this internal monologue where she absolutely hates herself, loathes her body she's very skinny, you know, slim to the point of being skinny, but she's always obsessing about how fat and disgusting and gross and right. ugly she is all of, all of the time, uh, so it takes this um a sort of eating disorder element of the story very seriously you know it's in no way exploitative of that and actually handles it in what you imagine would be an incredibly sort of realistic and relatable kind of way and on the other hand she sort of is sneaking off during the day to do these sort of aerobics classes and and uh gets up to other kind of things some of which might be helping her husband unbeknownst to him with his political ambitions and uh and other things going on as well because mm. she she does have she is sort of driven by this such a sort of deep-seated sense of self-loathing that she her, she is her own worst enemy in every possible situation, and it leads to an incredibly sort of nuanced performance from uh, Rose Byrne here. So there's this element of like so I'm getting this a Breaking Bad vibe yep. where you know you've got this central character in sort of small town USA leading this kind of double life, uh, but at the same time a because, in large part because of its period setting, uh, you get vibes of Glow most recently, but also sort of flash dance and <laughs> uh, and even and even the. Um, the John Travolta movie, Perfect, if you remember that one from like the mid '80s, mm. with him and uh, Jamie Lee Co- Curtis, where I believe he's like a—is uh, it him or is it her? He's a journalist who goes undercover in the world of sort of body of like aerobics and all the rest of it. So it's got a great sense of period detail, as one as one imagine, would imagine. You know, TV shows are increasingly very good at this side of things at getting getting that period detail absolutely spot on. Right. Uh, that comes obviously with great, i.e., hideous fashion choices. Uh, mu- yeah, great soundtrack. You know, punctuating the drama all the way through, and it strikes this really sort of, sort of strong balance between uh, comedy and drama. You know, there are some elements of the story that should not be joked about, and certainly aren't. But then there is lo- her. Her husband is essentially a bit of a doofus and he's chasing after his old college students all the time. He's trying to get them to kind of campaign for him, but at the same time you think he's, you know, lusting after them at the same time. Uh, And, you know, and and she... Her sort of stra- she has like, these strange relationships with pretty much everybody and is slowly discovering that everybody else kind of hates her or rather assumes that they hate her because she's so in- trapped in her head the whole time. Mm. Uh, so I, th- I thought it was really, really well done. Um, it's created by a woman called Annie Wiseman who was also responsible for Desperate Housewives, among other things. But I think most notably one of the directors, particularly of the first episode, was Craig Gillespie. Uh, he's an Australian filmmaker and most notably directed I, Tonya. And there's a right, similar kind of... You'd like that. There's, right. Yeah, and I remember that that was something that you enjoyed as well. And yeah. it strikes a very similar tone, uh, not only of balancing comedy and drama in these very highly sort of stakes situations but also of getting inside the head of its sort of female protagonist mm. 
Okay. Sort of dealing with that with that sort of day struggle. So that's um, that's you know. This I'm, is on Apple TV, James. Um, yes. When you do mention these guys, it's usually with quite a bit of praise. But are they still not really larging it like other platforms we mention? Well, I think what I mean the fascinating thing about Apple TV is um, that they're just giving it out for free to everybody. You know, if you if you buy any new Apple product. Over the, you know, yeah, in the last twelve months, the or content so, is, they give you, yeah. yeah well, so what, I mean, so this is the, what's interesting about it is that they are they're kind of launching it without any content and then building the content bit by bit. Yeah. You know, if you look at Netflix, Netflix began as essentially a disc rental company. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so it began with this whole body of content that wasn't theirs, but they still had the license for, mm. and slowly you've seen that fading out. And they've been building, you know, creating more and more and more of their own content. Well, that was the paradigm, wasn't it? When these online... Do you remember perhaps, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, people, one day we'll all be just sitting, yeah. watching, etc. We'll be dipping in and dipping... Well, it's all come to pass. And web yeah. is now a very um, proud platform, isn't it? It is. And it's almost going back to the days of sort of classic cable, where every, so. yeah. every company has its own channel and you kind of need... You kind of need all of them, <clears throat> you know, and if it isn't happening already, I'm sure in the very near future, you'll be able to just uh, subscribe to a package deal, which gives you all of these, uh, all of these uh, different, different channels. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's quite funny, though, James, that and when people started first talking about this dipping in and out thing in the 90s, right, uh, and the early 2000s, yeah. it all centered still around an actual television set. That was if you look back, that was quite funny. It did, yeah, you, yes, and and also on whoever your service provider was exactly. for your, uh, you know, for your satellite or your cable or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the that's I think the key difference is that you know in this day and age the company can interact with you directly. Yeah, you know, and you know you have it on your phone via their app, and you you know the money goes straight to them and what have you. I mean, yes, it's what is interesting with Apple compared with uh, any of the other companies is that they essentially decided to launch the platform before they really had any content yeah yeah and pretty clever and so they actually. launched it they launched it with one movie they launched it with greyhound the tom hanks world war ii navy movie mm. and and then they've slowly just been acquiring uh films and t and creating mainly tv shows and so bit by bit you're seeing that unfold i mean they made they made bidding war history at the beginning of this year at Sundance where they bought a film called Coda for I think about like $25 million or something like that. Just bought the rights to it. Yeah. Uh, and we, we and I've just seen it pop it? up. Yeah. And I've seen that pop up on, on the Apple TV platform now that it's coming out in, I think next month, sometime in June, in, mm -hmm. in August. So we'll get to see that soon. But I mean, I don't, I mean, there's so much content available now. It's, you, I don't mind <laughs> seeing them kind of take their time over. I'd rather they took their time and delivered quality stuff rather than, you know, we're in a mad rush and just dumped a whole load of rubbish. Well, that ship has sailed. They have to take their time, don't they? Because these guys aren't silly. They know that Netflix and Amazon particularly have just absolutely mm -hmm. cornered the market. So they've got to come up with something slightly different. And if that means a bit of tenacity, then I guess so be it, they're saying. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, Apple particularly, I think is, I mean, I'm not... I, I say, looking at my looking at my MacBook and holding my iPhone. I, you know, I'm not I'm not an Apple acolyte, but I but they have this uh, sort of ingenious model where they kind of make you they kind of draw well, you in with all the, works, these, with all I'm of afraid. these products. 
Yeah, by having their products all interact with each other and not interact very easily with anything else, you yeah. kind of incline to buy. And you know, but what I was going to say is that they they are sort of doing doing it in a smart way, I think, mm-hmm. and they are sort of you know taking the temperature of the marketplace, seeing what people like, seeing what shows work, what films work. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a big new sci-fi series starting in September based on Isaac Asimov's Foundation. Put the pause button on for a second, James. It's news time. Very quickly, what are we going to get to afterwards? Uh, we've got Space Jam. Yee. We've got Escape Room and Time. And more. All right, stick around. Let's get to the news. With James Marsh, it's Marshy Movie Time, as always, for a Friday afternoon. Love to hear from you. M- Morning Brews, yeah, Morning Brews Facebook page is probably the best place for it, and that's where you'll see his pretty face. Now, hands up who loved Space Jam back way back when. It's funny you should say that, because I actually rewatched it uh, earlier this week in preparation yeah. for seeing the sequel. And des- I dare I say, it doesn't hold up as well as I remember. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember it being a masterpiece. Well, uh, but 25 years later, it seems pretty flimsy. However, uh, compared to the new one... <clears throat> OK, I'm just going to kick back here uh, for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, its position, as certainly as best in the franchise, remains unchallenged. Um, so, 25 years after the events of the first film, which saw... Uh, Michael Jordan playing himself, yep. uh, transported to sort of uh, Toon World to play basketball with Bugs Bunny et al. against some aliens. Right, fair enough. Uh, we have now uh, LeBron James starring in this kind of sort of sequel reboot. It kind of acknowledges that the first film happens, but is very much telling its own thing. Yeah. And to some degree is kind of just a rehash of, of the same kind of thing. So LeBron James now playing himself uh, is you know at the at the peak of his career with the LA, LA Lakers, but it, at home as a family man, he's less than perfect. He's mm. you know very rarely listens to what his wife has to say, and he's pushing the idea of being uh, you know of following in his footsteps and becoming a basketball player to his two sons, and his younger son in particular ha- particular has no interest whatsoever and would rather be into in uh, a game designer, video game designer. Um, he has a meeting at Warner Brothers, and so he lets his young son Don tag along, where Warner Brothers pitch this idea to him that they're going to scan his likeness, and then they will put, they can put him, put him into lots of different movies and TV shows and animations for their new Warner 3000 digital platform. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> he rejects this idea, which is taken very personally by. Are you ready for this? By Algae Rhythm. Oh. Now, Algae, algae <laughs> Rhythm is, a, is an AI algorithm. I got that. Played by, played by Don Cheadle within the kind of the Matrix, sorry, uh, the serververse of Warners. And right. he so they're trying too hard idea. already, right? Hang on, hang on. They haven't even really started <laughs> okay. trying it. So Algae Rhythm came up with this idea to pull LeBron into his serververse. And when it is, he is rejected, uh, he takes it very personally, and he literally sucks LeBron James and his son Don into 
the Matrix, as it were, into the serververse, where he banishes LeBron James to the distant planet of Toon World. Right. Uh, and then takes <clears throat> takes LeBron's son under his wing and says, you know what, I thought your video game idea was pretty good. I'm going to help you develop it and make it the best thing, when in actual fact he's going to use the tech duh, for his own nefarious game. <clears throat> And there's a, there's a little bit of Star Wars dark side influence kind of going on there. Uh, LeBron James, meanwhile, now in animated form, teams up with Bugs Bunny, who seems to be the sole uh, resident of Toon World now. And Bugs says, oh, I remember this scenario. Yeah, you want us to play basketball against some bagger? I remember this from 25 years ago. Uh, let's put the band back together. And so they kind of fly off, fly off in Marvin the Martian spaceship. And... Um, okay. And go and pull all the characters, you know, recruit the characters to blah, 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 blah. Um, so what you get is one of the most shameless processions of product placement oh, I've dude. seen in a, in a very, very long time. But the, the products that they choose to place in front of our eyes are quite baffling. I mean, obviously they're plundering, the filmmakers here are plundering everything owned by Warner Brothers, all the IP that Warner Brothers has, which is considerable, and going, hey, look, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's yeah. this. Beyond sort of the Looney Tunes and, you know, Daffy and Bugs and Elmer Fudd and Sylvester and Tweety Pie and all of them, uh, you've got the, the Harry Potter world and The Matrix and obviously the DC universe, Batman, Superman, et al., Wonder Woman gets in there. But then also, bizarrely, you've got like Mad Max Fury Road. You have The Shining is referenced. Clockwork Orange is referenced. It. Stephen King's It is referenced. And you're like, hang on a minute. Is this a, is this is a kid's movie, right? Kids won't Clockwork understand, Orange let alone. starters. Right. I mean, why, oh, why? I remember there was a stink going up because the, the um, very much like, similar to with... Uh, <clears throat> Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes. Oh, yeah. People got very people got very upset about how Lola Bunny, the the, the girlfriend of Bugs Bunny, uh, looked, and that she was overly sexualized, and so they redrew her completely to make her sort of less sexy. If a well, it was Sonic that. himself didn't look like Sonic, did he? Sure. So, but there, but the idea, the the problem there wasn't that Sonic was too sexy. No, the problem there that, that was okay. Sonic. <laughs> Sonic didn't look like Sonic. Uh, apparently, hand-drawn rabbit can be sexy and was too sexy for some. Jessica Arguably, Rabbit. Arguably, there's a problem. Jessica Rabbit was a human. I had this conversation with somebody else the other day. Jessica <laughs> Rabbit is not a rabbit. Rabbit is her surname because she married Roger Rabbit. Uh, right. And it's funny you bring up Who Framed Roger Rabbit because that was um, the same kind of the same kind of tech that uh, they then adopted for the first Space Jam. Now they use a combination of a lot of hand-drawn animation, um, but also some sort of 3D animation. But you, you're sitting there going, who is this movie from? On the one hand, this should be for fans of the NBA. You know, LeBron should be bringing a huge NBA basketball fan base. There's almost no basketball in the movie whatsoever. Right. And the basketball that is in it... Uh, as is pointed out by more than one character in the movie, is is kind of video game basketball as opposed to real basketball. So you're like, okay, so it's not mm. for video. It's not for video game. I mean, it's not for video game fans. It's not for NBA fans. Yeah. Is it for fans of classic Looney Tune characters? No, they've been far better served many many times before. Uh, this is this is not for them. 
Right. And is it just a sort of family-friendly movie for kids? I mean, because at the end of the day, this is a story about a, a negligent father, you know, learning to respect his children's dreams and decisions without sort of pushing his own on them. Hmm. Uh, and you're like, well, if it is, it's a very long and very boring one uh, that seems more interested in peddling sort of largely R-rated, adult-focused Warner Brothers properties. I mean, sure, Harry Potter is in there, and you're like, okay, fine, the kids like Harry Potter, the, the kids first like episode. Batman, the kids like Superman. Anyway. Well, exactly. Even Harry Potter is has a something of an asterisk beside it for very small children. And you're like, so who, I don't understand who this movie is for. And short of actually telling the audience at the end of the movie, you need to subscribe to HBO Max, uh, this does... This is really just a two-hour commercial. Well, this is a sign of the times, James. You mentioned 25 years ago, and I said, yay, who, who misses the first film? The first one just did what it said on the tin. It, really? It did. It was, it was a novelty. It was, it was a... Um, the, you know, the, the, the whole concept of that movie, the selling point of that movie, was it's Michael Jordan and cartoon animals. And it's fun. You know, beloved, and... beloved cartoon animals. Right. It was essentially putting him into an animated context uh, and you were marvelling at the technology as much as you were enjoying, quote-unquote, enjoying the story. Here, it take, you know, we are spoilt in terms of visual effects these days. It takes it as read that you know, nothing, nothing that's happening with all the digital uh, wizardry going on in front of you, uh, it's all taken for granted. We expect this is interesting. all of that. But changed. when this film... But when this film is supposed to be aimed for children and it's got references to King Kong, it's got references to Casablanca. There's a whole Casablanca sequence in the so movie. So who's with, it for, with, you're saying, really? So, uh, th that's exactly what I've been saying for the last minute. Who, yeah. who is this movie for? And the, <laughs> Thank you for keeping no, up. No, no, no. And the, uh, <laughs> and the answer is absolutely nobody. And, uh, and, it's, and it's not good. It's terrible. It's, it's not funny. Uh, there's one, there's one, I'll just leave it as a Michael Jordan joke, Go that's on. okay. There are a couple of very softball digs at LeBron James himself and some of his career choices and right. what have you. Uh, arguably, actually, he, he comes out of it probably better than anybody else. Uh, you know, he paints himself, like I said, as, as a kind of very much a flawed character, certainly a very flawed family man to begin with. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, he allows people to make digs at the fact that he keeps, you know, leave, turning his back on teams and all the rest of it, moving around too much. You know, they're not exactly deep-cut jibes, but at the same time, you know, he is, he is painting himself negatively, and that's fine. And Don Cheadle, God bless, God bless him, as this kind of digitised algae rhythm character, gives it his all. He's not phoning it in. You know, it's a performance he probably shot it in a day on a green screen, but at the same time, you know, he's giving it his all. But as a film, it's just turgid and tortuous and goes on and on and on. And the good thing about the first movie is you're in and out in 88 minutes. This one is two, this one is two hours and you were and like 15 felt long and yeah. felt longer. Yeah, well, okay, we'll put that one aside, shall we? Let's do something decent. Or not. Well, I promise nothing. Go on. Uh, the next one the next one is Escape Room Tournament of Champions. Um, I don't know if you remember Escape Room from a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. which was essentially uh, a group of people are enticed to an office uh, where they discover that uh, they are, you know, contestants in a, an escape room, <clears throat> but, but the stakes are as high as possible. There are, 
it's a deadly escape room and they go from one to the next one to the next one and some of them die along the way so this is the sequel so you're following the same character Zoe who is a a college student who is determined to track down the Minos Corporation who are responsible for putting her through this horrible ordeal Mm -hmm. and so she drags fellow survivor Ben played by Logan Miller back to New York uh, to you know to bring them to justice but before they even get to the office they find themselves trapped in yet another escape room and they find that their fellow contestants if you like fellow prisoners are all past winners from this escape room game so this is why this movie is called tournament of champions uh but again the stakes are incredibly high they find themselves in a sort of an an electrified subway carriage and then stuck in a sort of giant hourglass where it's like a beach and the sand is literally falling out from under them and there are numerous other sort of uh, highly intricate escape rooms now what i will say to its credit is that the screenwriters and the director, Adam Robitel, who is the same director as the first one, do a fairly good job of working out the mechanics of how these escape rooms are going to work, where you, you know, it all, is all about solving riddles, and you know, so there's a lot of, sort of brain, brain power needs to be going on, reasoning, teamwork, all, all the things that appeal to people who actually do, do escape rooms in real life. Okay. And all of that side of it kind of works quite well. On the other hand, however... I don't really understand what the point of this movie is because the first film suggested that there were sort of bigger things going on, you know, with the Minos Corporation and, and with the sort of underworld and why was all of this happening and who was to gain, who was gaining from it, who was profiting from it. And it, and it hinted at sort of this whole sort of underworld that is then pretty much completely ignored in this film. Okay. Uh, it also, the first film ended on this kind of life or death knife edge cliffhanger that the, the second film then decides to kind of ignore, but then kind of do the exact same thing at the end of this one, suggesting that more things are going to happen. Um, also, you know, so what you do is you've got, it's, it's a, bit, a bit like a movie like Cube or something like that, where they're, you know, they're going from room to room to room, and if you don't do it properly, something's going to kill you. But then at the last minute, unlike a movie like Saw, for example, they don't even indulge the horror fans <laughs> with sort of bloody kills. Uh, you know, at, at, the last, at the last moment, as characters do succumb to these sort of booby traps, essentially, yeah. the camera kind of cuts away, and so you don't even see it. So this is, again, oh. this is a, you're, you're left asking, wait, who is this for? Because fans of the first film... This is your thread today, were, isn't it? I think. But it, it, it's, it's very important. It's like, why are you making this film up for... Because it's a sequel. In both cases, these are sequels. Yep, and so therefore, you're like, okay, who's it for? Uh, fans of the first film will be like, yeah, but you've left so many plot threads dangling from the first film. Uh, I want answers, damn it. Uh, horror fans are going to be like, where's the blood and guts? <laughs> you know, where's the horror? Where's the, where are the scares? Yeah. And, uh, so you'll, and fans of escape rooms will, will just be kind of frustrated that they're not doing it themselves i suppose so once again nil point, more or less yeah yeah so i mean it's it i guess kind of occasionally works on a very very perfunctory level but uh no i short changes its audience completely all right before you go on to your final one I want to say hi to Gabby, who joins us on Facebook Live, says, I think the only good basketball film I've ever watched was uh, Basketball Diaries with DiCaprio. Does that ring a bell to you? Yeah, that was one of his sort of first adult roles. Uh, and is quite a good one. I don't think there's too much basketball in it, actually. That's probably why. If I remember rightly, it's more of a kind of sort of beat 
uh, beat generation uh, look at sort of uh, coming of age, rite of passage. I think it's a fairly shady uh, mm. community that he f- falls into. But yeah, no, that was that was a very sort of good early yeah. adult DiCaprio movie. Well, Gabby, you heard what he said about the first Space Jam, and you'd certainly heard what he said about the second one. Did you see the first one? Let us know. You know, I, I wonder if you've shortchanged it a little bit, bearing in mind it was 25 years ago, but it was honest, James. Well, okay. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I watched it. I rewatched it a couple of days ago, and I was I was left yeah. wanting. I was unimpressed. Right. I couldn't quite work out even where the nostalgia lay, other than oh, I remember this movie. Uh, but some people have said, oh, I used to watch this so much when I was a kid. Blah 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 blah. So, mate, who knows? Mate. We got we got a fan in with us now, actually. Much liver than the ones on Facebook. Hi, Wheel hi. them out. Hi, it's Hugh, Hugh here. James, Hello. how are you? How are you? Can you hear me, James? <laughs> can I can, me? and I agree with everything you say. <laughs> Go on, dude. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was just going to say, I saw, um, I watched uh, a field in England um, last oh. night. Okay. I don't often do arty films, but it was. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Really, well, well worth it. It's on uh, Amazon, I think, Amazon Prime or something. You, you must have seen oh, it. Oh, fantastic! Have you seen it, James? You've got your yeah. nub. What's he uh, talking about? I facing? have. <laughs> A Field in England is great. It's a sort of psychedelic 70s throwback folkloric British horror movie in the vein of kind of Ken Russell or The Witchfinder General. Uh, It's set during the Civil War, if I remember rightly. That's right, yeah. And it's about a group of soldiers in, in a field, as the title might suggest, who get up to all kinds of sort of psychedelic, trippy, uh, psychological, uh, problems it's it's shot in black and white very effectively it's by it's ben like a game of charades also. between you boys he knows what it is he just watched it <laughs> but for the no, he's, you know no, he's for bringing the, for the listeners yeah, yeah, yeah 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 for you he's explaining i've never heard of it i'm gonna go and watch it now yeah it's it's uh i don't, I don't know how you describe <laughs> describe how it would, that would, was pretty good that was a pretty good um line of adjectives there how, how would yeah folkloric horror <laughs> yeah um yeah it's psychedelic it's, it's i would say it's of a part with films like um witchfinder general uh the wicker man, wicker man. yes blood Psych. on satan's claw there was a whole string of those kind and any of m night film james no where villages no, 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 get no, no, eaten no, no. by monsters and get hanged and execute each other. Although there is there is a new M Night Shyamalan movie coming in a couple of weeks. So. Oh yeah, are you into that? Here? Yeah, called no, called no, old. Okay. I, these movies totally creep me out, but I know I know fanboys say it's rubbish. Anyway, yeah, tell us what that was again, Hugh, that you saw last night. A uh, field in England. Well, we'll have a look at that one. James has got time for one more film. Stick around. You can be okay. our, you can be our on-site expert, Hugh. What you got? Okay, there's a little local film called Time. Oh, yes. Which is a kind of comedy drama that stars 84-year-old Patrick Chair, father of Nicholas Chair and mm-hmm. 60s screen icon, uh, as a sort of an elderly retired assassin, yeah. uh, now okay. sort of living out his, his twilight years um, in, in Hong, a Hong Kong that is increasingly uh, losing, you know, losing interest with his generation, and he's finding himself increasingly out of touch and hard to find his place uh, and yet he must continue mm. uh, Petrina Fong and Lam Suet play his contemporaries uh, and they're kind of trying to scrape together a living by providing a special service for those in need which is essentially assisted suicide you know he's no longer uh, the quick bladed killer that he once was but he will g- come to your house 
and give you and dispatch you uh, with sort of uh, with mercy, shall we say, <laughs> okay. if that is what you like. If, if, you're in, if you're in debt, if you've got piling medical bills, what have you. So it appeals certainly to older people. Uh, then one day he answers the call and finds that it's a young teenage girl who has been, uh, who's got pregnant accidentally and her boyfriend has hightailed it away and she's, you know, just feeling all emo about it. He talks her out of it, brings her into his home and an unlikely relationship, friendship. Yeah. Nothing, nothing weird uh, develops between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting about this film is that it's written and produced by uh, Gordon Lamb, Lamb Carton, who is uh, increasingly uh, becoming one of the bona fide leading men of Hong Kong cinema right, right now. Okay. You know, he's been a, a, a supporting character in sort of Johnny Toe movies and Infernal Affairs and things like that for the last sort of twenty years or so. Uh, but in the last couple of years, Hand Rolled Cigarette is out right now. He's the lead in that. Limbo is coming out very soon. He's the lead in that. Uh-huh. And here he writes and produces. Um, now, what it, it is a little bit of a kind of hodgepodge of different genres. Uh, on the one hand, you do have this kind of social commentary about uh, Hong Kong society neglecting the elderly and, you know, them finding their, struggling to find their place and find relevance and find, uh, retain their dignity. Uh, at the same time, you do have this kind of youthful drama about, uh, you know, teen pregnancy, uh, backstreet abortion clinics and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then this kind of sort of tender generation bridging, uh, drama about, you know, how do these, uh, these different uh, generations coexist in contemporary Hong Kong? How do they continue to understand one another? Um, I think the best parts of the film are the black comedy about uh, uh, Patrick Chair and Petrina Fong and Lam Suet running this business, you know, this opportunistic business. I think it plays that for kind of darkly comic, almost gallows-style humour, and I think those are the elements that work the best. Having heard Gordon Lamb talk about this film... It sounds like it initially was going to be more of that, and then he actually pushed it away from that into something a bit more of a social commentary. And I kind of wish he hadn't, because for me, at least, those were the best bits. But it's great to see all these veterans of of Hong Kong cinema, particularly, like I said, 84-year-old Patrick Chair, still peddling away, plying his trade. And uh, he he actually gives a great performance as well. So that's nearly all we've got time for. Last word to Howard. Good to hear from you, Howard. He says, far be it from me to disagree with James, but (laughs) Warner Brothers has a history of re-referencing movie characters that only adults would know. Just the other day I watched a Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd flick that had Humphrey Bogart and Lauren McCall in it as tunes. Now, my my triv sense says slick hair. Does that ring a bell? That, the name of the cartoon. Sure, I mean, I, I know that I know what he's talking about. I mean, I think that that cartoon was probably fairly old. I remember Humphrey Bogart, yeah, did show up in an old Looney Tunes cartoon. But when was that Looney Tunes cartoon originally made? Probably 50. way closer to Casablanca or, or 1950. Films. I well, want a pint on this one. Casab- <laughs> and Casablanca what 42, something like that. Yeah. I mean, so it's the same. It's the same generation. It's within a decade of it. That was kind of like referencing. Uh, you know, some more recent film now. All right, James. Well, look, we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks to Gebby and Howard for getting in touch. I'll pick it up with Howard later. You will indeed. Take care, Marshy Movie Time. Back next week here on The Morning Brew.